Australians in particular, I think we actually have a very keen sense of camp in this country. The party was to celebrate her new job. And there were about 30 gay guys there. And Mrs. McDonald was smack dab in the middle of them having the time of her life. <laughs> she seems to be doing all right as queen of the queens, doesn't she? No, oh, I uh, take it then that you're uh, sympathetic to the homosexual cause? Too right I am. Some of my best friends are poofters. Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. European court orders Romania to recognize queer couples, Target's pride collection condemnation turns violent, and Aussie camp humor came out with outrageous 70s TV show. Those stories and more this week now that you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Brian DeShazer. And I'm Lucia Chappelle. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending May 27, 2023. Romania's reluctance to recognize same-gender couples has been flatly condemned in the landmark decision by the European Court of Human Rights. The May 23rd ruling answers the joint complaints of 21 lesbian and gay couples that began in 2019 and 2020. It goes far beyond a similar ruling against Russia earlier this year in that it specifically mentions civil unions and registered partnerships as remedies for the discriminatory laws now in place. That means that states can no longer argue that same-gender couples can make other kinds of contractual arrangements. The court made it clear that to be compatible with the European Convention on Human Rights, states must provide same-gender couples all of the rights enjoyed by their heterosexual counterparts. Efforts to grant equal rights to queer couples have been languishing since Romania decriminalized homosexuality in 2001. Three draft proposals to include them under the civil union's law have been stuck in parliamentary committees since 2016 and 19, and four more have already failed. There's no more stalling now because the ruling means that Romania must account for its progress to the European court. The issue was on the ballot in 2018, with a referendum to prohibit marriage equality in the Romanian constitution. Not enough voters showed up to make the election valid. The outcome would have made no difference to the European court anyway. It already pointed out in a previous civil union's case that democracy does not simply mean that the views of the majority must always prevail. The European Court's ruling sets a powerful precedent for same-gender couples to sue other European countries that don't recognize their relationships. That list includes Albania, Turkey, Georgia, Serbia, and Ukraine. The Romanian government has three months to decide if it wants to ask for the court's top chamber to review the decision. It was the Constitutional Court of the Choctaw Nation that made an Oklahoma lesbian couple's dreams of a family come true this week. Kennedy and Chelsea Barker had shown up with their extended families to see a district tribal judge on March 9th. They were expecting to celebrate the adoption of their 10-year-old foster daughter. Instead, the judge suddenly stepped out to take a phone call and returned with the news that she could not finalize the adoption because the Barker's marriage was not recognized under tribal code. 
The confusing and heartbreaking situation was the result of a conflict between the Choctaw Nation Marriage and Divorce Act and the nation's constitution. According to the act, a marriage between persons of the same gender performed in another tribe, a state, or any other forum shall not be recognized as valid and binding in the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. However, the Choctaw Bill of Rights says nothing in the Constitution shall be interpreted in a way which would diminish the rights and privileges that tribal members have as citizens of the nation, the state of Oklahoma, the United States of America, or under any act of the Congress of the United States. The Choctaw High Court ruled on May 23rd that the act's definition of marriage became unconstitutional under the U.S. Supreme Court's 2015 Obergefell decision. The judges vacated the dismissal of the Barker's adoption and prohibited the enforcement of the act's language that denies same-gender marriages. Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma's Chief Jerry Batten praised the Constitutional Court's handling of the matter. He promised that the tribal codes in question would be reviewed for changes made necessary by the court's decision. The Barker's happy ending came on May 25th, when the adoption was finally completed. Thailand's new elected progressive government is putting same-gender marriage among the top items on its legislative agenda. The coalition forming around the surprise election winner, Move Forward, announced its memo of understanding on May 22nd. Move Forward officials say the members are 80 to 90 percent in agreement on the policy issues, which also include curbs on military conscription. The MOU was signed on the ninth anniversary of the military coup that brought down the country's last democratically elected government. Pakistan's federal Sharia court is challenging the country's 2018 law protecting the rights of transgender people. The religious court's role is to determine whether legislation passed by parliament conforms to Islamic doctrine. Its May 19th ruling struck down the parts of the Transgender Persons Protection of Rights Act relating to those whose gender identity is different from that assigned at birth. Sections of the law relating to intersex people were retained. Trans activists plan to appeal to the Supreme Court. In the opinion of the court, the Islamic teachings do not allow individuals to change their gender at their own will, and an individual's gender shall remain the same as assigned at birth. The justices acknowledged that Sharia recognizes the existence of intersex people, but said that the term transgender was too broad. They also cited the erroneous excuse that recognition of trans rights made it easier for predatory men to invade women's spaces. Rahab Mahamur of Amnesty International said, the denial of essential rights of transgender and gender-diverse persons should not be guided by assumptions rooted in prejudice, fear, and discrimination. The Human Rights Commission of Pakistan called the ruling regressive and warns that it will lead to the already vulnerable trans community in the Muslim-majority country becoming even more marginalized. Nayab Ali is the executive director of Transgender Rights Consultants Pakistan. She says they have declared the basis of our existence illegal and vows to fight the ruling all the way to the Supreme Court. Ali's chances may be good there. 
Pakistan's highest court handed down the 2012 decision that trans people are entitled to equal rights. That ruling led to the enactment of the 2018 transgender rights law that the federal Sharia court is now attacking. Finally, in the fever of don't-say-gay-inspired censorship engulfing the U.S., June Pride season is off to a rocky start for LGBTQ-friendly corporations. The stage had already been set by the right-wing backlash against Bud Light over the appearance of trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney in an April ad campaign. Calls for a boycott from conservative influencers featured social media posts of celebrities using Bud Light cans for target practice. Sales dropped 25% from last year, and the ads were pulled. Bud Light's parent company will reportedly soon feature camouflage print on some of its packaging. A similar uproar made the Los Angeles Dodgers attempt to disinvite the drag service organization Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence from the baseball club's June 16th Pride Night Community Hero Awards. The team apologized at a community meeting on May 22nd and re-invited the sisters. They accepted, saying, In the future, if similar pressures from outside our community arise, our two organizations will consult and assist each other in responding. The biggest pre-Pride controversy has exploded around the Target retail chain's high-profile Pride collection. CEO Brian Cornell has hailed the cheap, chic discount store's queer positive attitude for how it builds customer and team engagement and enhances sales. Right-wing extremists painted a target on Target stores around the country. Angry anti-queer objectors fueled by conservative commentators have destroyed pride displays and harassed staff members. Bomb threats have brought heavy police responses and the FBI is investigating several incidents. Target lost $9 billion in market value the first week of the boycott. The company tried to quietly eliminate some items and move the prominent displays to the back of the stores, especially in the South. That brought just as strong a reaction from the other side. Human rights campaign president Kelly Robinson warned Target about responding so easily to criticism and threats from the likes of the Proud Boys. A statement from the LGBTQ media advocacy group GLAD's executive director Sarah Kate Ellis said, Anti-LGBTQ violence and hate should not be winning in America, but it will continue to until corporate leaders step up as heroes for their LGBTQ employees and consumers. One bomb threat came from a person or persons opposed to Target's retreat. Queer British designer Eric Carnell created the collection in collaboration with Target, but the company has left him to deal with the backlash and death threats alone. Carnell was originally excited about the opportunity to have his work where it could reach people who needed the support. Now he can see it both ways. He said, I think that they should stand by their principles. However, if I were working as a retail employee at a Target store in an open carry state, I wouldn't feel safe. Carnell is getting support in a different way. His Abprelin store webpage has been so swamped that he's temporarily not accepting new orders until he can catch up. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending May 28, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. 
News Wrap was written by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Stay healthy. And I'm Brian DeShazer. Stay safe. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. on this way out. There was an interracial love affair between an African-American man and a white woman. There were lots of homosexual themes throughout the show. It made it virtually impossible for anyone else in the world to screen it. And then this happened. I'm not a girl. But you said you'd guessed. I had guessed nothing of the sort. Miss Ross. This way out, Sydney correspondent Barry McKay has more surprises in the exciting final episode. This week, we finish looking at a new documentary called Outrageous, the queer history of Australian TV that premiered at the Sydney Mardi Gras Film Festival earlier this year. It looks at a soap opera called Number 96, which was the first soap opera in the world to portray LGBTQ characters, starting way back in early 1972. I'm speaking with the documentary's producer, Andrew Mercado. Some kids were secretly watching the show for its heterosexual sexual content, even though it was programmed at 8.30pm at night, and that caused a bit of a stir in the press at the time. Yeah, there was massive uh, alarm, is the word that was being used, at the fact that when they were doing surveys amongst kids to find out what was their favourite TV show, number 96 was coming in at number two behind the Brady Bunch. Number one, the Brady Bunch. Number two, number 96. Number three, Bugs Bunny. Pick the odd man out there. Number 96 was a show not aimed at children. The actors in Number 96 were alarmed to be getting fan mail from six-year-old kids who could barely write. And suddenly you've got a show on TV that is very attractive to young kids because half of the action in Number 96 was comedy. All of this camp comedy that was very attractive to kids and yes so there were kids watching it for comedy there were kids watching it who were straight who were dying to see a flash of abigail as she was uh, getting in and out of bed and what was then quite subtle nudity but what was happening was that they were also through osmosis learning about gay people and i think what's really interesting about watching it all is realizing that that there was this depiction that even though a gay slur might be thrown at them, even though you kind of go, oh, someone just called Don a poofter behind his back. But the, then you realise, oh, because that's what would have been happening back in the 70s. Yes, there would have been people who would have been nice to your face, but behind your back, 
they would refer to you as a limp-wristed pofter. And that was shocking to me. It's like, oh, why are they saying that? But then I thought to myself, no, that's actually incredibly realistic. And I think that's what number 96 captured. It captured a moment in Australian society where people were getting their heads around this and actually going, oh, actually, that guy over there is okay. He's he's black or he's gay, I, but I'm actually having a beer with him in the pub and that's okay. But that still didn't mean that when he went home and spoke to his wife about that, he didn't use a slur when he described that person. And particular characters who came from the country to the city, it was very obvious with them that they were like, oh, oh, oh there's poofters, they're poofters. They were uncomfortable about it. And you know what? That would be happening today. You know, you still got people in the country that get uncomfortable about this these big city notions. So I actually thought that made it even more realistic. In fact, you won't believe this, but she has signed up as the public relations officer for the gay lip movement. <laughs> what? You're kidding. No, I'm not. No, no, the party was to celebrate her new job. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't invited, but, um, well, you know, I met a couple of guys I know on the stairs and they dragged me up with them. And uh, by that time, Reg was hiding in the uh, bedroom and there were about 30 gay guys there, and Mrs. McDonald was smacked up in the middle of them having the time of a life. <laughs> oh, you had a good time too, did you? Oh, fabulous. I met several very nice guys there. What are you going to do to get a drink around here? Enroll at birth. <laughs> Sorry, love. Same again. You're up pretty late tonight, aren't you? Things haven't been going too well lately. Maybe I should join that McDonald Sheila upstairs. Couldn't help over here and you mentioned her in the conversation. Oh, she seems to be doing all right as queen of the queens, doesn't she? Well, uh... I suppose you could put it like that. Oh, now, don't you get uppity with her just because she's mixing with homos. It's all right for you normal fellas. But they can't help what they are. They're born like that, the poor chooks. Oh? Yeah, you can't do a thing for them. They just have to suffer, they do. No, I uh, take it then that you're uh, sympathetic to the homosexual cause? Too right I am. Some of my best friends are poofters. I've often described Australian TV as a bit of a combination and blending of American TV and British TV. And I think amongst that, you know, I think there was, there's always been a very healthy appreciation here in Australia for camp humour. So Mr Humphreys in Are You Being Served, hugely popular all around the world. Um, but I think that Australians in particular, I think we actually have a very keen sense of camp in this country. Because yes, while we're very blokey and while we're very macho and while uh, the early days of Australia, there were far more men in the, some of these situations going back to convicts than there were women. If you look really closely at that, there is also a real appreciation of camp in this country. And I think that's why you can have Carlotta becoming a household name through the 60s. We knew a trans woman here in Australia. I think that's why you can also look at Dame Edna Everidge as played by Barry Humphreys. We, we, we love the fact that he's another man in a frock. Yeah, we've always kind of appreciated gay humour and I think that's come to us from our British forebears. And so I think that did make us more open to uh, new concepts. And as former High Court Justice Michael Kirby says in Outrageous, he believes that the societal memory of seeing gay lives being normalised as just like everybody else on number 96 for five years every night of the week. He thinks that did something to Australian society that did help Australia deal with the AIDS crisis 
faster and better than any other Western country in the world. I mean, while Ronald Reagan in America refused to say the word AIDS, and while Margaret Thatcher was sitting there in the UK doing nothing about AIDS, here in Australia we got onto it and did something about it. And as a result of that, hundreds of thousands of lives were saved, and other countries began copying the strategies that we uh, invented here in Australia. Being such a world first in many ways, why hasn't number 96 had more recognition worldwide in the LGBT community? Well, I think people just don't know about it. I think the fact that it couldn't be screened on TV. You still couldn't put number 96 on free-to-air TV now on American TV. It's still the nudity in it. There's still no nudity on American TV. So you couldn't screen number 96 50 years later. So what about in Europe? Well, maybe in Europe and maybe in the UK, post-Watershed, 9pm. And, you know, I think that number 96 would have taken off in the UK because if they fell in love with Prisoner late at night, they would have fallen in love with it because I've looked at some of those early episodes of number 96 and I see a lot of similarities in the comedy between the classic Coronation Street comedy. The shows were very, very alike and there's no doubt in my mind that the Brits would have loved it had they been allowed to see it. Oh, Rodney, Adrian, they're beautiful. My dear, we couldn't possibly visit our favourite lady, the non-bearers of gifts. Mm. And Adis has bought the martinis. Haven't you, love? Oh, yes. Oh! <laughs> oh, and I spy the camper set of drinking glasses since Barry Humphreys was a girl. Oh, look at them, Rodders, aren't they divine? Oh. oh, do you think so? We got them with peanut butter coupons. Oh, sublime. Now go and put your dandelions in water, darling before they wilt under that heady perfume you're wearing. Oh, I know. It's called Cherche L'Amour. Oh, how camp. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> oh, look, I see, Dee. I'm going to need ice and olives. Just as you say, precious. Oh, how's the ice doing, Rosita? Coming right up, sailor. <laughs> Don't you call him sailor, cheeky. I'll scratch your eyes out. <laughs> You'll be giving me ideas. Oh, that'll be the day. What do you mean, that'll be the day? Chance would be a fine thing. Chance, you trissy tart. What would you know? Oh, just what is going on? Now, don't tell me. You must be Daddy. Oh, hello, Daddy. I'd like to think that one day people who are interested in this might have an opportunity to see it if one day all of number 96 could be streamed. Having said that, half of it has been destroyed because the show was being made in num in black and white for half of its transmission when australia went to color tv it was thought as just being a soap opera that there would be no repeats nobody knew about home video back then nobody could see the future of streaming so they threw away those early 600 groundbreaking episodes in number 96 we still have the color episodes my hope is that one day the rest of the world and Australians can get to see all of them. But people around the world don't know about it because it was simply too groundbreaking and racy for them to ever see. And uh, you dig this modelling scene? Mm. Yeah, nothing to it, eh? Ah, oh, that's it. Right, and another one. Yeah, got it. A bit, I'll slip out of your jacket for the next one. Mm, sure, I've got nothing to hide. Yeah, well, this is just the beginning. Damn right. Uh, we've got some fully nude shots yet. Uh, now, how do you want me? Uh, there'll be fine. Leaning back at an angle. Yeah. Hi. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, the kind of reaction every girl dreams about. Hold still, love. Oh, still. She's probably embarrassed. No, I am not. Well, I am. 
Now look, I've got to do this stuff here. Besides, I want to study. Study? I thought you worked in an office. Yeah, I do, but I'm an article clerk in the last year of law at uni. Having made that startling revelation, perhaps you'd make yourself scarce. Where? There's always the bedroom. Oh, are you talking to me? Anyway, I'm only here doing these shots to help Bev make a few extra dollars, and so we'll have a bit of cash for the party. Hey, we're throwing a party. You want to come? No, thanks. I prefer small, intimate twosomes. <laughs> Not from where I'm standing. Take the picture. <laughs> okay, Mona Lisa. Lean back again. Right. Let's compare it, as I do in the doco, to All in the Family. And it's a good comparison to make, because during the three years that number 96 was the number one rating show on Australian TV, which is 1972, 73, 74, at the same time, All in the Family is the highest rated show on American TV. And All in the Family is recognised for being groundbreaking and they were tackling taboo subjects just like number 96 and doing stuff like racism and rape and breast cancer and all these things that were taboo subjects once upon a time on TV. But imagine this, All in the Family made 205 episodes and five of them had queer characters in it. All in the Family screened once a week on TV. Now imagine if All in the Family had screened five nights a week on TV like number 96 and imagine if Archie Bunker lived next door to a heroic gay lawyer like Don. Imagine the impact that would have had on American TV as opposed to them dipping out of queer themes, which is great, they were doing it, but you weren't seeing him on TV every night of the week. And that's where number 96 in the box is revolutionary because they didn't just go, here's a gay character, our straight characters are going to have to deal with them and decide whether or not they're going to accept them. But we actually saw straight characters welcoming queer characters into their lives every night of the week for five years and that just wasn't done anywhere else in the world in the 70s and that's why number 96 changed Australian society in a way that all in the family did but could have done so much more if there'd been the appetite for it. Why well, aren't you going to ask me? Ask you what? Who I had breakfast with. Gracious, no, Donald. I mean, I would no more dream of casting myself in the role of a possessive, meddlesome, busybody arm than fly. Who? Dudley. Dudley? Mm-hmm. Donald, do you mean that, 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 that you're together again? Well, yeah, he'll be uh, moving back his things in here sometime this morning. Darling, I'm so glad. Oh, I can't tell you. I'm glad I am <laughs> Well, you're doing you. a pretty good job. Oh, that's super. <laughs> Darling, we'll all be together in the flat again and everything coming up roses. Outrageous, the queer history of Australian TV is expected to hit the international LGBTQ plus film festival circuit this year. The complete video interview that I did with Andrew Mercado is on YouTube and it's called Number 96, TV's First LGBT Show. Several of the early episodes of the original series of Number 96 are also on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Barry Mackay in Sydney, Australia. Breaking news! Outrageous, the queer history of Australian TV is the best feature film winner at the LGBTQ Toronto Film Festival. You'll be able to view it via the festival's TV app for 48 hours in July. For more information, the producer's website is andrewmercado.com.
M-E-R-C-A-D-O dot com. By the way, there will be a state funeral for the aforementioned Barry Dame Edna Humphreys at the Sydney Opera House on December 15th. Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Brian DeShazer and me and produced by Brian DeShazer. Our correspondent was Barry McKay. Sugarloaf performed some of the music you heard along with the theme music of number 96. Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks listener donors Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. They help make this program possible and so can you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Lucy Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and on CFMH St. John, New Brunswick, Lofty Community Radio, Adelaide Hills, South Australia, KCSB Santa Barbara, California, and more than 200 other local community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all. 